Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. We are in week three of our series on Abraham, and this week we're going to be diving into the topic of altars. Now, I know the idea of altars is a little strange, but even today there are certain places that are associated with local gods. For example, my mother-in-law a couple of years ago wanted to try to hike Mount Everest. Now, not all the way to the top, that's called summiting. It's incredibly dangerous and very, very difficult, but you can hike like part way up. And if you were to hike Mount Everest, you have to stop. And as you stop, there's these temples. And you offer a simple sacrifice at a monastery to the goddess of Everest. Now, the goddess of Everest in Nepali, her name is Sagarmatha. And in Tibet, the Tibetan name for the goddess of Everest is Chomolungma, which is not to be confused with Chumbawamba, which is the god of getting knocked down and then getting back up again. I get knocked down, So you would go into a temple and offer simple flower cakes or a drink like Coca-Cola while monks burn juniper leaves to offer protection for you, your party, and your gear. The idea is that it would be incredibly unwise to attempt to summit the mountain without completing this blessing ceremony because if you don't, the goddess will kill you and there are bodies strewn at the top of Mount Everest to prove it. You don't go around insulting local gods, and this is where the story of Abraham is so fascinating. When he enters into the foreign land of Canaan, whose foreign god was Baal, he does not make an altar to Baal, but instead makes an altar to Yahweh. And this shows his changing allegiance and loyalty, not to these other gods that he used to worship, but to this new God, Yahweh, the creator God. And so that's what we're going to zoom into. We have Steve Clifford back from sabbatical, raring to go like Steve often is when he comes back from sabbatical. He's going to talk about the changes that happened inside him when he first encountered Jesus and began his journey with Jesus back when he was a young adult. He's going to talk about the shifting, changing loyalties and allegiances and how that played out in his own life. And we start off this week's podcast with a story about how Steve was kicked out of the very first church that he tried to attend and what that did in him and how that convinced him he needed to change some things. And then we have Sarah K. Lee coming in for Bible Nerd Out Time. She's going to talk about this strange phrase that occurs multiple times in the narrative. When Abraham builds an altar, he calls on the name of the Lord. We're going to talk about the difference between bearing the image of God and bearing the name of God. Lots to get into. Let's dive right in. was horrible. I mean, I, I I cussed and got in trouble for cussing all the time because I came from a home where my mom encouraged us to just cuss. So I, I grew up cussing at the dinner table. Your mom encouraged you to cuss. Well, one of my mom's favorite <laughs> sayings was shoot his shit with two O's. And she would tell us if we ever said shoot, she would just say, ah, shoot his shit with two O's. Which meant, basically, if you're going to say shoot, you might as well say the other one. The other one. Okay. I know. I just goofed up the pod. No, no. Thing, I'll, right? I'll bleep it. it okay. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, so I grew up. I had horrible language, but I came once, and um, then I came back. He, and, he, and when I came back the second time, um, he just the 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 pastor, the, the main youth guy, guy whatever I, whatever he was. I don't know if it was a lay volunteer or if it was somebody on staff. He just said, you know, you got to go. You can't come back until your language cleans up. Wow. So, 
How did that make you feel at that time? Um, I didn't really. I mean, I didn't have any you didn't have expectations any... out of church anyway. So right. it ended up that the people that actually led me to Christ, I, I filtered back to them, and that was a, mm-hmm. probably a really good blessing in, in, in the long run. Um, um, so it was my, all my changes were stops. Yeah. So um, go through those I just, again. I go just, through those the so changes. So I needed to stop um, cussing. Yeah. Stop having sex with my girlfriend and stop drinking and getting high. Okay. So um, I just somehow knew that I was supposed to change. And then as I started studying the scriptures and started reading the gospels with with some friends, um, those affirmed all of those things. Sure. I mean, you know that that uh, pretty quickly it was easy to see. I mean, all you got to do is get to chapter five of Matthew, and he's like, uh, you, you know. Yeah, you got to stop. The, you yeah. got to stop doing some stuff. Yeah. Um, and treat so, pe- and treat mainly. Mainly, it was about not what I was doing, but what how I was treating people. Right. And the the orientation of my world was so self centered um, that. Uh, so for you, loyalty and commitment to this new God that you had encountered meant trying to. Um, follow him by living like him is it how would you yeah very easy very early on it it became the people that i was with they defined discipleship as a as a process of imitation to the master to jesus or just you know an apprenticeship to him and because that's um, not everywhere no i was very fortunate i was i got put into a group that that pointed to christ as the example number two they they said service of, of a christian serve they serve other people. Yeah, they serve other people. And um, they had a high regard of the scriptures. Right. right. And and that's that was my lane, and that's the group I got with. And it could have been all kinds of different other ways, you know. But if you think about it, each of those is a loyalty. Loyalty to God's word, that it's really important that we study what he mm-hmm. says. Loyalty to God's way, he loves in self-sacrificial ways. And loyalty to God's Jesus. People. In, in God's yeah. people, because yeah. that's what he is. So in, in a way, that's all loyalty and commitment to God, to someone other than yourself. Well, it was if he rose from the dead, he's the man. So that was that I mean, was the that thing. was the that was the pivot for me. So for you, it wasn't the love of God. It wasn't no. that God loved us. It was that He beat death. It was that He beat death, and th- and that He beat death for me. Oh, well, that's love. That's love. That He would love. That He would extend Himself to me, knowing all of the. I mean, by seventeen, so I'm seventeen, almost eighteen. Right. I already knew I was, a, you know, a scoundrel. Yeah. I mean, I was convinced of the deep issue in my soul. Right. Um, and uh, that God, that God would uh, not only defeat death, but do it for me to forgive you. He, yeah. So the a, sense that, of that yeah. kind of sense of man, if He loves me like this, you know, I, I say this at the end of all a, a lot of the services. I'll say, go and. Go and love others well because you've been so well loved. Yeah. And I just got, I, you know, I got gripped with the fact, A, he rose from the dead, so he's who he said he was. And B, um, he's crazy about us. He's absolutely yeah. in love with us and is for us. We dwell under friendly skies. Yeah. You know, is one of the quotes that is I that love. Is that Tozer? That's Tozer. Yeah. So that we, if we can just realize we dwell under friendly skies, God's not up there ticked off waiting to beat us with a stick. Right. And so it gripped me. Right. It, it gripped me. So it didn't feel obligatory. I mean, it didn't feel like I was doing it something out of like a serious sense of duty. Yeah. It didn't feel like um, legalism or, or things. It just felt like, gosh, 
if you enter into a relationship with, you know, if you marry, when Dana and I got married, um, she didn't say, she didn't say to me, you know, you can't date anybody else. I mean, that was just kind of a, that was kind of assumed, yeah, right? Right. I'm marrying right. her and I'm pledging to her that, that she's now um, the preeminent woman in my life. Right. She is first place. Does that help you to make that connection? It seems like it's helped you describe your relationship with God in a marriage covenant way, because it's it's a human way of mapping onto it. Does, that that has helped you explain. It to has people. helped me, and I think people, if they don't do it, it's to their detriment. We know this. We we understand relationships humanly speaking, right? But then we make God in another sphere, and I think our relationship with Him is very it has more in common than it has different. Yeah, yeah, sure. And one of the primary metaphors is marriage. And the other one is father-son or yeah. parent-child. Parent-child, so, yeah. So those are those are two. Okay, so yeah. let me ask you a question. Um, and this gets in it. You've been around this for a long time in the Bay Area. When do you know when That's somebody... code for saying I'm old. No, thanks, it, thanks it means you have a lot of pastoral experience. And, <laughs> and you have been around people who you know, oh, your allegiance isn't quite to Jesus. Yeah. And what are the things, the other idols, the other gods that we make altars to that that usurp God? What do you see people serving um, mm. that's... That it's almost... It's it's much less behavioral okay. than mine was. Okay. Um, uh, in my mind, it, the kinds of things that that people are serving now, it's it's a way more of a sophisticated... Idol? Uh, idol. So what, what, um, how would you how would you parse that out? Um, I believe that there are people who claim to love Jesus that every day, the first thing that they do each and every day and for the majority of their day is think about accumulation and, um, and achievement. Sure. And achievement looks, you know, good. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like some redheaded teenager screaming cuss words. Right. It's, it, everybody sees that. And, and goes, you're referring to you, yourself. I am. Okay. I am. Just so you I mean, just so people <laughs> don't know that you used to have red hair, <laughs> I know. Steve. So, but, I mean, everybody sees that and goes, oh my gosh, that kid needs to grow up. But when you see somebody completely I, violating and using people for their own advancement, I mean, it's more sophisticated. It's more difficult um, to point out. Because it's celebrated by our culture, especially the Bay Area. You know, build a big company, get yeah. the IPO, right? And then there's nothing a bit against big companies or advancement, but when that, Is when those thing. things become idols or um, altars, if we'd use the Abraham sure. language, yeah. when those things become altars, and we bow down, we find ourselves bowing down to it. Then we there you go. Now, and you know, you know, you're kind of messing with it when you, when you are. When your thoughts are captivated by it, when your behavior is modified by it, mm-hmm. and when your goals are all surrounded by it. I should write that down because that's really that's something. Good. But when your thoughts are captivated by it, when your behavior is dominated by it, and then your thoughts are all um, centered around it, mm-hmm. you, that's too much attention to things that shouldn't be first place in your lives. And those those things yeah. are not bad things. Please, uh, sure. That's where we but get. But it, it can't be first. But it can't thing. be first place. If Jesus rose from the dead, He's the Lord. Yeah. He he and he and, he, and what He says makes Him an author- the first authority in my life. So you've seen business people who have gotten this correct, 
where they have subjugated yeah. achievement yeah. and success in yeah. either second or sometimes even a distant second, third place. What are the hallmarks of those people? It is so men? winsome that you would just, you would, you can't wait to be around it. And it's known by two things, okay. humility and generosity. Oh, okay. Humility and generosity. I, I, you I, don't know they got a lot. Yeah. And what they do have, they share readily. Man, you know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about people in our church that I know who have been wildly successful in business. And those are the two markers that I, I'm thinking of right now yeah. in those people. So the opposite of that would be arrogance, stingy, arrogance, arrogance and stinginess yeah. or greed. Or greed. Hmm. Okay. Um, you've been doing the thing with Jesus for a long time. My assumption as somebody who is watching you ahead of me is that it just, there gets a point where you just say, I, I pledge my loyalty and commitment to Jesus and that's it. Do you feel like he's constantly asking even more of you, even more loyalty and more commitment, even of you now in, in your present state than he was? Or is it is it somehow different? I think he's asking the same thing of me that he did that very first day. Which is all of you? Yeah. Okay. Which is allegiance. Okay. Uh, loyalty. Today is our word. Today. 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 And it looks different, and it looks different because it's more dangerous now. Oh. It, I am I am so sophisticated in my selfishness hmm. and in my exclamations, in my statements, in my use of words that are inappropriate. Let's do let's take that one, because everybody understands cussing. Okay. I'm pre- I'm pretty good about cussing now. I can I can form several sentences and not use a cuss word. <laughs> but I still misuse words. Hmm. I can use a word to Hurt elevate somebody. what somebody might think of me by a yeah. simple statement that that just yeah. puts an emphasis on what I did. Or yeah. um, I can use a word to hurt someone um, or to manipulate someone or to you know to cast it more more often cast disparaging light on someone else that's not in the conversation, which yeah. is called gossip. Yeah. I mean, I still am, and even when I don't do those things, I still think them. Yeah, you know, and and so it's it, I I think that um, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said that the the good man is not the man who doesn't steal. It's the man who doesn't even want to steal. Hmm. And I'm just kind of on the first level. It, so you so, never get, you never, you're never finished. So the call is the same. It all is. of you every day. Yeah. All, as much as you can give me, I'll take all of it. Yeah. Yep. To the depths, all the way down. Man, well, down. well, that's good. At least that doesn't change because I, that 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 makes sense. That feels good. You know how it manifests itself. You know I'm sure it's different, and sure. you've got di- things that you're working on, and different things. But but the call is the same. Yeah, hundred percent loyalty and commitment to me and my way. Now every day, and we have that choice. Yeah, it's pretty and, beautiful. And the beautiful thing about it is, um, what was in the message is that it's and it's not dependent on us. Yeah, the extension to us is not go clean up your act, and once you get where you earned my favor, then I'll extend it. Yeah. The beautiful thing is that God sets the covenant and all of its responsibility on him. Yeah. 
And now, there are consequences to our disobedience and our pulling ourselves away. If we but don't, that consequence yeah, yeah. is never the removal of his favor on our lives. It, there's just consequences of sin. You you do stupid stuff. Sure. You reap the the you know the benef- the curses of stupidity. Right. He he will leave that to you. Um, you you continue to be in disobedience and, and violate the commands of Scripture. The power of the Holy Spirit in your life will get pulled back because he he won't force himself on you. Yeah. But his favor extended towards you and forgiveness offered in Christ. That doesn't go away. It's all based on him, not us. That's grace. That's man. good news. That's, good news. That's such good news. Good news. It, it, there's that verse, is his kindness leads us to repentance. Yeah. Yeah. And the, Dur- more, the more we think on that, I think the, the truer it becomes. Yeah, during sabbatical, I'm playing golf with a couple of guys, and I'm, I start about six or seven holes in. I usually give them a chance to get warm up to me. And then um, it was about seven holes in, I uh, began talking about spiritual issues. And on the eighth hole, on the tee box of the eighth hole, both these, both these guys, younger than me, um, and clearly not Christians based on their language. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, up to that point, they have demonstrated um, some colorful language. Okay. And which doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all. But um, they said on the eighth tee box, I'd like, to, I'd like to get closer to God. You know, Steve, you know what? I'd like to get closer. Both of them. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you think it would take to get closer to God? And immediately they went into behavioral modification. They had to clean up their act. And it was my privilege to tell them in the eight, on the eighth and ninth hole mm-hmm. that it has nothing to do with what you do. It, you can't get that clean. Right. You, you, you can't. That's why God walks through the covenant walk alone. Right. Because he knows we can't. We can't do we it. We can't do it. Mm-hmm. And um, I wish I could tell you that, that on the ninth hole, they just both bowed down and trusted Jesus. But they, they left with the thought that our God, is, our God is a God of grace and love, and it's extended freely to them mm-hmm. if they want it. And then I challenged them and said, you know, you said two holes ago that you really would like to be closer to God. And here's my response to you. No, you wouldn't. Because if you wanted to, you would be. Wow. It's that free. It's that offered to all. Hmm. Mm, well, hopefully they do. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Thanks. All right. Well, we keep delving this, so we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks. All a right. Lot. By the way, what'd you shoot on that? Uh, on that? On those uh, it holes? was really good. Was oh really? How, how good? <laughs> no, I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't. What's even the know. best score you shot? Because I know you played some golf. This. What's the best you shot? I did. I so I, here's the deal. I'll give you the good and the bad. I on one particular round, I shot 75 in Georgia. I mean, in Florida, it was best round in a long 75. time. 75. 75. Three over par. Yeah. And then I shot a hundred. I shot even hundred. Uh, the next day or no, something? No, no. It was like two months later. Oh wow, wow. That's the first part of August. When wow, twenty five. I, I was playing really good, and then the first part of August, the game went to right right away to the poo poo right there. <laughs> anyway, glad, thanks for asking did all you, that. Did yeah, you say I, any let's cut all this out. Oh, okay, all I right. did. I may have. I may have cussed once or twice. <laughs> All right, well, welcome to the afterword. I'm here again, once again, for week three with Sarah K. Lee. Sarah, welcome. Hi, Dave. Okay, so let me ask you a question. This week, we started in Genesis 15, and we had this, um, the story in Genesis 15 
um, you said that there's actually a really interesting hyperlink back that we didn't actually get a chance to get into. And that's this phrase that Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And right. for, for you, this is like actually a hyperlink back earlier in the story in Genesis. Uh, and so why don't you explain a little bit about that kind of literary theological hyperlink and then perhaps the implications? Yeah, I read that Genesis 15 is like a commentary on Genesis 2. And the link here is that word deep sleep, that this isn't just a regular kind of sleep. It's something special. And so God So it's put, not like, it's not because Abraham was like killing all the birds and shooing them away and he was super tired. There's something supernatural about this. Is that the implication? Right. It's something that God induced that he put him into a deep like passed him out he made him pass out essentially and the other person we've seen one person so far in the bible who was also put into a deep sleep and who was that um uh, yeah so just, are they different words in the in the in the bible there the deep sleep word is tardema and uh, the regular word for sleep which is is i think yeshan Okay, so there's like, there's just the regular sleep of you and I just falling asleep. Yes. But there's this weird kind of deep sleep, deep, deep, deep thing that God does called Tardama. And, and so, uh, okay, so, so Adam obviously fell into a deep sleep. And then uh, I think what he gets cleaved into and woman comes from him, right? God does his, but That's I mean, right. or, or he, maybe he doesn't get cleaved into, but he has a vision of being cleaved into. What is that? Is that a better way of saying it? Yeah, it's hard. Who knows? It's hard to say what was happening if it was a vision or real. But the but, idea that Adam falls into a deep sleep, out of that comes the creation of Eve, woman, yes. womankind. And so suddenly, and so what's the tie between Adam and Abraham as you see them? Why do you think that the author is putting in these hyperlinks? Right. So Abraham is, he's just, and so Genesis 15, just really quick, we'll catch up on the story from Genesis 14, which we didn't talk about in the book, is that he just came back from raiding these warlords and rescuing Lot. And God says to him, don't be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward will be great. And then Abraham asks about that reward. He says, well, I don't have any kids. I don't have any land. And so what is this reward? And then that's what he's all alone. Like he cannot do by himself what God's called him to do to, he's going to be the father of many nations and blessings will come from him. So he's confused how this is going to happen. So he's a lone human who cannot do the thing God calls him to do. Well, that just sounds just like Adam who God said, it's not good that the man is alone. That there's, he's been called to be fruitful and multiply and, he can't do it on his own. So he needs help. And who does God provide? Is Adam's help? Is the woman that is his azer. She's the one. So the divine promise can come into existence. And then the, the word, the Hebrew word there was azer, E Z E R, which is the word for, um, I, I guess, uh, how would you translate azer? A word is helper, but that makes it seem like uh, a junior assistant. It's yeah. more like more like a completer, one who it's, makes it. The Jewish commentators all, they want to go really far and say, this is like a savior, a rescuer, a deliverer. This is a, the only 
the main other person who's ever called an azer, a helper in the Bible, is God. So this is not a diminishment. Of I see. The right. woman to be a helper is a really is a privilege. It's an honor. Right, right. Or the the idea that uh, you're a godsend. I couldn't have done this without you. That kind of feel, right? Yeah. And in a literal way, God is the azer for Abraham. So yes. that's interesting. That's interesting that the, the so the author is trying to make this link. Abraham's helpless and alone and cannot accomplish what he needs to do. Adam, obviously alone, he can't he can't reproduce by himself. He can't right. he's all alone. And there's that that really funny story where all the animals like get paraded in front of him to see if any other are his type, and none <laughs> of them are. And so it doesn't work. And so yeah. he, he needs a he needs an azer. He needs somebody to to help him. So is there anybody else? Um, can we trace the this tartama, this 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 deep sleep caused by God? Is there any other places that that pops up? Um, in the story? Yeah, so Adam and Abraham are both partners with God, and the other partner is Daniel. He goes into a deep sleep, and he has these visions of the coming of God's kingdom. Ah, uh, yes. And he's also and, alone. He's in exile. So right. he's separated from his people and mm -hmm. wonders if he's separated from God, and God shows up and shows him that. Um, right. That's utterly fascinating. Um, is there other stuff about Tartama that we should know, or as we kind of think about it, what, what's the implications here? Yeah, the other places where Tartamite shows up is when God causes a deep sleep on his enemies and it kind of reduces them to helplessness and then they are overcome in the stories. So for example- um, Well, Sisera in uh, Judge, so my daughter's name is JL. So I know all about the story of Sisera. Right. <laughs> and so Sisera falls into a deep sleep I always thought it was because she gave him like Tylenol PM and some warm milk. <laughs> uh, but uh, you're saying that that's a supernatural sleep that God causes, right? Right. That's what the text uses that word. That's hard about. Are there other examples? Saul and his soldiers, when David was, um, could have killed Saul, but he was put into a deep sleep and prevented. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah. Comes up there. Jonah. Jonah tried to run from God, um, but he was put into a deep sleep. Yes, Jonah. Oh, he was, when the, he was running away and they're on the boat and a huge storm comes up. Oh, that's up, right. And yeah, it yeah. says that Jonah was fast asleep. He was actually in a deep sleep in a tardemah. Oh, wow. Interesting. Well, to be fair, Jonah and Saul technically weren't God's enemies, but they were acting like God's enemies. <laughs> So their, their, their purposes were thwarted by God because he didn't want Jonah to run. He didn't want Saul to kill David. So right. in, in essence, God caused something to stop that he did not want to happen, or he causes something to happen that he does want to happen. So uh, you're saying it's a supernatural insertion of God into the physical realm. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, every Thanksgiving after I eat turkey, I go into a tartama. So uh I, maybe no that's not that's not the property no, that's the church of fan not oh, the okay <laughs> okay so let's let's talk about the other one uh, that we want to get into which is um all through this chapter 12 through 14 and then also in 15 abraham's mm -hmm. building altars we map this out he builds tons of altars a lot of times when he makes the altars he then calls upon the name of the lord this is the phrase that's used 
Right. So let's talk. We talked about altars quite a bit. Uh, talk about this unique phrase, call upon the name of the Lord, which I kind of took to mean like calling out to God in a, in a form of worship. It, but is there, are there other ways to um, talk about this? Yeah, it is definitely a worship, but it's also a call for help. So, and again, it's that word azer, where God is the help that and the deliverer that the person needs. And so that's why they're calling on his name. It first showed up at the end of Genesis chapter four. I said, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And that was a really neat, it's neat because you know, we, we have all these examples of Abraham calling on the name of the Lord, but it, there's a Old Testament scholar, Andre Lecoq, and he pointed out that uh, there, before Genesis 4, maybe there was no prayer, and this is when it began, and they were calling on God's name for health and for honor, for worship, um, but that it's a theological statement that God, Yahweh God, is the God of the whole humanity, Abram did not inaugurate the calling upon Yahweh's name. Rather, Abram's conversion led him to join a chorus that began with Seth. So wow. it, was just, it was neat. So, well, there's certainly a sense of um, that there's not a new thing that's being done with Abraham. He's going back to the old thing. Right. That should have been done. He's, he's being like Noah, who he should have been like the whole time, which is his ancestor. He's in that lineage. Right. And, and Abraham or Abram at this point just gets, um, he forgets, he loses it. He falls into pagan worship. So there's a sense of going back to what it was. Are there other times we see call on the name of the, uh, of the Lord in, um, in, in these, in these times, I think about, there's lots of times when Abraham does it in Genesis 12 and 13 and, um, later right. On. So the examples of like Abram, where he built an altar and then called on the name of the Lord. Those are the clear examples of worship. Isaac did that as well in Genesis 26. Um, that was happening. Um, there's a Psalm 116 that talks about calling on the name of the Lord. Yeah. And yep. Zephaniah and the prophets, it comes up there as well. And then those the other examples, though, where people are calling on the name of the Lord for help, that shows up seven Oh, about nine times, actually. Oh, really? Okay. So uh, the one I think of is anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Joel, yeah. I, what? No, I, I was going Acts. Well, it's quoting Joel, though. Oh, well, oh, you're right. See, this is why I need you. I need you to show <laughs> me the Old Testament hyperlinks. Um, Romans 10, Paul is also quoting Joel. He also says that same line, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that that's the idea that if you call out to God in a state of, hey, I need I need help, you know, mm -hmm. then God will respond. Right. The idea that everyone who calls, I think the Joel path, let me read it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance as the Lord has said. This is the, the promise of God's sure rescue of his people. So that calling out for help is also a I guess it's worship in a way, you know, you're properly recognizing him, but you're saying it's really specifically a call for help. Yeah, that Psalm, and Psalm 116.4 is a good one. I called on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. Like that's. So you're saying in this one, this really ties to the, the Azer as not just a helper, but a savior, that God right. is the powerful savior. And that's there. Hmm. Helper and deliverer, savior. Yeah. 
So, okay, now let's transition to another concept that's in here, which is kind of uncomfortable. Um, and that is the idea that um, not everyone calls on the name of the Lord. And when, right. when it, so we talked last week about Selim, which yes. is the image of God, that everyone bears the image of God, every human that's born, every, every person, every man, every woman, every child, every right. single person, everyone has the image of God. Yes. But the calling on the name of the Lord or bearing the name of the Lord, everyone bears the image of God, but not everyone bears the name of God. You want to talk a little bit about this distinction? Because I think it's, I think it could be, I think it's important. Yeah, um, there's an Old Testament scholar named Carmen Imes, who I've been reading her works, and it's fun because she's about my age and, you know, female scholar, Yeah, and uh, she did her dissertation and then has been continuing to research on the second commandment, you know, the Ten Commandments, the second one, which says, usually is translated as do not take the Lord's name in vain, but she argues a better translation is you must not bear God's name in vain. And so it's not just about saying curse words. It's about how we represent and how we, um, how we live and how this is what a deeper meaning. And so she'll say that for Jesus calling on God's name is not enough. And that because every human being is an image bearer, as you just said, whether they know it or not, we believe all humans yes. believe yes. Have, have the image of God. Yes. Whereas name bearing is restricted to those who are in covenant relationship with Yahweh. So when Jesus tells us to pray the prayer, our father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy or different be your name. Right. That implies um, you're saying the uh, name bearing that we yeah. have to honor and hallow this Yahweh is that is that kind of like faithful obedience is that kind of where that's going absolutely she was saying that obedience and faith are like synonyms and that if you claim belief in God without obeying him that would be bearing his name in vain oh and wow oh my goodness yeah right. so now that's the convicting part Right. Is that if we're going to bear his name, then we have to look like him. We have to trust on him fully. Our allegiance has to be to him alone. It has to change the way we live. We can't just call on his name right. as Christians. We have to bear his name. And that's, you know, the Lord's prayer continues, right? That his will be done. And Your will that? be done. Not my will, Not yeah. God's will. Yeah. And yeah. so carrying out his will, is going to be bearing his name correctly and well. Now we're going to get into that a lot next week and the week after. Um, so That's this a is a little bit, little bit preview. of a teaser, a little Sorry. preview, little trailer, little movie trailer as we go forward. And Abraham's going to learn this. He calls on the name of the Lord, but then he's going to demonstrate some pretty radical obedience. Uh, and then there's some times he fails and we're going yeah. to look, we're going to look at both of those. Um, but he, what's interesting here is that for all the things Abraham gets wrong, he doesn't get this one wrong. He never calls on any other God. He yes. never worships any other deity from here on out. So he gets this one 100% right. Yeah. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's a lesson <laughs> that getting this one right, even if we screw up the other stuff, God will help and correct us to get the other things right in our lives. He continues to partner with us, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is good news indeed. Um, 
because like like Abraham, I'm inconsistent at best. But if this is my primary commitment, my primary allegiance, my primary loyalty, he can work with that. Um, yes. God can work with that. Fantastic stuff. Sarah, thank you so much for, for these insights. And uh, I look forward to you joining us next week when we uh, go into week four in obedience. Oh, boy. Oh, man. <laughs> Thanks. Me too. <laughs>